Good morning, Grace family. So good to see you all, and good morning to all of you watching on live stream. It is a delight to gather in this way. I am really loving meeting outside. I'm actually not looking forward to going back to all that recycled air in that comfortable place in there. I like my chair. I'm getting really used to this, and I'm hoping you are too, and you're actually able to enjoy it and not just put up with these circumstances these days. I really am loving gathering outside like this in this beautiful weather, in this beautiful part of the world. We have been preaching about wisdom. And if you'd open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be in a familiar passage, familiar to many of you, and continue to talk about this idea of wisdom. It's very meaningful to me this morning to be talking about wisdom because... This is Dell and Jerry Wyrick's last Sunday with us before they move to Idaho next week. This is their last Sunday. Dell and Jerry are right up front here. And if you know Dell and Jerry, as I know many of you do, you know that they are wise. They embody wisdom in a powerful, beautiful way. We can talk to you about wisdom, but there's nothing quite like seeing it displayed in the lives of people. And Dell and Jerry, you have been a powerful example of wise living to us. Your generosity, your faithfulness, your joy in the Lord, your concern for others, your kingdom-mindedness, the way you store up treasures in heaven. They're moving to be with grandchildren and children. Kim, we said goodbye to Kim, their daughter, who's been part of Grace for many years, a few weeks ago before she left for Idaho on a Zoom meeting. But now, Dell and Jerry, we want to say goodbye to you. Greet them on their way out. We're thankful for you. We are so, so grateful for your lives and your investment for 20 years here at Grace. You were charter members of our Grace group that we started in 2001, and we've had so many good years together, and we're grateful for you. You're, you're amazing people, and we're sad to see you go, but we're confident God will use you powerfully there in Idaho and among your grandchildren's lives. So bless you, Del and Jerry. Thank you. Thanks for who you've been among us. Yes. <clears throat> well, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way Del and Jerry, for decades here, have been people of the word, people who have known your word and sought to understand it more even after they knew it quite well, they continued to be beautiful examples of students of your word who sought to know you through your revelation. Lord, thank you for the way they have served us so diligently and self-sacrificially and generously through the years. Lord, we pray your blessing on them as they go now. I pray that this chapter of their lives as they move would be sweet and fruitful and a blessing to them and to all they encounter. Lord, I pray you'd lead them along with Kim to a, a great church for them to plug into there in Idaho. And Lord, I pray that they would continue to point people to you through their words and their lives. And we thank you for them. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, I pray that we would lean, not on our own understanding, but on yours. And it's in your word we find your understanding most clearly given to us. And so we pray that we would find there life-transforming truth and ultimately the one who is the word made flesh, 
who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is wisdom personified. And we pray these things in his name, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Proverbs 3 is familiar to many of you, and like any time we read a passage that's familiar, we need to ask the Lord to keep us from having a been there, done that mentality. For many of you, this is the verse in your Bible that was given to you when you were dedicated or when you went into high school. This is a classic verse, especially to give to young people. We all need it, and we all need to hear it fresh from the Lord this morning. So let's ask him to give us new ability to understand these, these verses in powerful ways. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll go through verse 8 together this morning. Proverbs 3, 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Once again, we have a beautiful plea of a loving, wise father to a son who needs his wisdom, who needs his instruction. And I love the way of persuading that's going on in the entire book of Proverbs. If you think about it, this father representing God and God's ways and God's laws throughout the book has every right and ability to simply command and demand and require. But throughout the book, he pleads like a father who so desperately wants his son to know the way that leads to life and follow it rather than the way that leads to death. He persuades. He pleads. You can hear his longing for his beloved son to walk in the ways that will give him abundant life and eternal life and not live in a short-sighted way that leads to death, that leads to emptiness, that leads to disease and degradation and, and ruining your life. 
He pleads. He, he could just demand, but he goes as God so often does in the Bible with all his authority fully intact, but in relationship with us, pleading with us. And we all need to hear God through this father this morning pleading to us as his children, pleading to us if you're not one of his children yet as one of his people made in his image. And we need to listen to him. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's ask the Lord as we're listening to his word this morning for soft hearts, for yielding hearts, for teachable hearts, because that's not how we naturally are inclined, even toward almighty God when he comes with his word. And we're talking about wisdom here. And as we've been seeing, we need to remind ourselves that wisdom is not just knowledge. It's never without knowledge, but it's not just knowledge. It's not just education. It's not even just moral living. You can have a very clear set of morals. You can have lots of knowledge and education, but wisdom is that ability to conform your way of living to reality. In the details of life, in the specifics of life, and knowledge alone, or even morality alone, right intentions are never enough. We need wisdom, which is an ability to understand what the right way in the particular circumstances life throws at us is. Not just some objective right or wrong, but a very clear, detailed, circumstantial right and wrong, which is not always clear and explicit in the Bible. Actually, I would say the significant majority of things in our lives are not spelled out in the Bible. What job to take if we have options? What to do given our medical condition where there are lots of opinions? How we should invest our time and our energy and our, our recreation options? What's the best way? What's the right way? We don't always have the clear answers in the Bible. Sometimes we do. And if I came to you and said, you know, with all of the economic circumstances of COVID, we're really running low on money in our family and we've got some significant financial challenges. So would you pray with me? Because I'm trying to decide whether I should rob a bank or not. <laughs> you would say, hopefully, no, I'm not going to pray with you about that. We don't need to pray about whether you should go rob a bank or not. That's really clear. That answer isn't ambiguous. It doesn't require some other level of wisdom. But most things in life do require a wisdom in the circumstances. And wisdom is learning to conform ourselves and our way of living to reality. We do have in the Bible powerful principles that we apply to our lives, powerful priorities that we apply to our lives. We do have very clear teaching on the kinds of people we should be. We do have very clear teaching on the most important foundational fundamental questions of life. We have those answers, but then actually applying those in the way we 
communicate on social media or navigate citizenship as Christians in our society, which is why we're having the panel on Friday, because we need wisdom, don't we? We need to understand the ways of God. It's on Friday, right? Okay. Um, so I don't want to mislead anyone. Uh, as we'll see in a bit, we're frail. We forget things. So yeah, we, we need wisdom, don't we, on how to deal with all these social issues, how to deal with difficulties in our life. We need help. We need to conform ourselves and our way of living to reality. And we're not always sure how to do that. And add this problem to it all. If our job is to conform ourselves to the way things really are, we need to realize that we're constantly taught and something in our hearts is constantly leading us not to conform ourselves to reality, but to try to conform reality to ourselves. That's our instinct. That's our inclination. I want some sort of transformation in the way things are so that I can do what I want. I want reality to be the way I want reality to be. And so my efforts then will go to somehow trying to change this. And, you know, technology is actually starting to give us the impression we can change whatever we want. We really are in control. You know, the, the scientific revolution and the industrial revolution brought amazing blessings through God's enabling to reality. But it started to give us the impression that we somehow could actually ultimately control reality and control our lives and control our existence. And we forgot, most of us, that we're never ultimately in control. That's why farmers almost are all very religious people. It's really hard to find an atheist farmer. Did you know that? Why? Because they are constantly need to work, work, needing to work with what they're given. They can, they can do all these amazing things, but if it doesn't rain, they're in trouble. And we people who live in an urban environment, we start to think that water comes from the water company. And we're in control of everything and we can just conform reality to our existence. C.S. Lewis was so prophetic in this. Think about him writing this. A half a century ago and how prophetic he was. He says, there's something which unites magic and applied science. So he talked about more primitive people trying to change reality by using magic. But he said there's not a big difference in their attitude toward trying to change reality through magic and the scientific way of trying to do it through technology. He says there's something which unites magic and applied science, technology, while separating them from the wisdom of the earlier ages. For the wise men of old, listen, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution, how you conform the soul to objective reality, was self-discipline and virtue and wisdom. For the modern, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man. And the solution, he says, is a technique. Just give me the life hack to change reality. Give me eight 
principles of fixing the problems and making things the way I want them to be. And this technique mentality has invaded the church as well as the society. And we're just waiting the next solution to the problem we have. We're just waiting for the vaccine. And then once again, we will demonstrate that we really are in control, even though we have so, felt so out of control for quite a while now. And that's my concern. That's something I believe God wants to use to humble us, this virus, is going to make us more arrogant than we were before. Once we figure it out. As if there isn't something coming around the corner tomorrow that will be out of our control. And so we need to realize that wisdom is what we need, not to conform reality to our liking or our desires, but to conform our souls to the way things really are. And God's the one who tells us the way things really are. Life is not simplistic how-tos and life hacks, but a daily disciplined walk of the disciple. That's what wisdom is going to be teaching us here. It is not something you get in the latest book telling you how to fix it. It's something that's worked out in dependence on God in a daily disciplined walk. You know, often the Bible uses walk or journey imagery for the believer, the follower of Jesus. Not a sprint not a dramatic display, but a daily disciplined walk of a disciple, which has as its root the word discipline. Someone who works this out in the daily. And so, we're going to be greatly helped with five major principles we find in this passage. Here they are. Here are the five big principles. Have a big view of God. Have a big view of God. And the corresponding principle is have a small view of yourself. You can't have a big view of God if you don't have a corresponding small view of yourself. Have a big view of God. Two, have a small view of yourself. Three, know and follow God's ways. You can't follow God's ways if you don't know God's ways, so we need to know and follow God's ways. Four, look to mentors. We follow God with the help of God's people. Jason Oaks powerfully communicated this point as his last one last week. Thanks, Jace. We are never intended to go this alone. And the further we get into eating at the banquet in the grave, as Jason said, the more help we need. And the best thing, though, is the preventive maintenance of the help of the people of God to keep us from getting deeper and deeper into the banquet of the grave. So look to mentors. Look to others. Have a big view of God. Have a small view of yourself. Know and follow God's ways. Look to mentors. And finally, ultimately, look to the Son, Jesus. Ultimately, depend on Jesus. So point one, have a big view of God. What I want you to see here is that a big view of God is really the core of everything. The reason I don't just depend on my own sight, my own ability, my own wisdom, is because I realize how much bigger, how much wiser, how much more knowledgeable, how much more strong God is than I am. 
And so I don't depend on myself. I don't follow the lead of culture today that says look in your own heart and find all the knowledge and the power you need right there. You're all that. And that's not what the Bible teaches. We look to God, have a big view of God. And we see this wonderfully in verse 7, don't we? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh. When you see all caps L-O-R-D in your English Bible, it's Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the great I am, the God who met with Moses at the burning bush and said, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you and tell them that I am Yahweh, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who never lacks the resources to fulfill all the promises I have made to you. And he says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See God in his greatness and have a holy fear of him. An understanding of who he is that is magnificent and massive and increasingly growing in, in that magnificence. And our calling as God's people is to think magnificently of God more each day. That's why we gather fundamentally. That's why we're here this morning singing and praying and learning is so that fundamentally more than anything else, we can think more magnificently of God than we did when we walked in here this morning. That's why we're here. That's why we gather in grace groups to think more magnificently of God. We gather in counseling meetings and in our recreation and enjoyment time and our times with our families. It's, it's what we're always after more than anything. When we dig into the Bible through study or prayer or memorization or meditation, we are looking for a greater and greater view of God but we can turn things so toward ourselves and become so absorbed with ourselves, navel-gazing, encouraging a narcissistic self-abandonment to ourselves, we're missing the main point of it all. We can even turn things like Bible study and worship and ministry into things very much about ourselves and just a little bit about God. And we work hard at grace to keep our first ministry value, which is do it all for the glory of God. That is not just words in a document. That is the life breath of our ministry here. Oh, we fail so often because we're frail and we're distracted, but we are seeking this in our ministry here. And so, we have a great view of God that leads to the fear of the Lord. But there's something else I want you to notice that leads us to a great view of God. And it's in verse 3. And it may not be what you think it is. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So what's going on there? It's easy to think, well, that means be a loving person. If you live a life of love, you will benefit in all these ways the passage talk, is talking about. Be a loving person. Be a faithful person. Keep your promises. I actually don't think that's what it's talking about because this word, uh, steadfast love, is this word chesed that we've talked about before. And it is this love of Yahweh, which is fundamentally his love for us. And this faithful, this emmet word is his faithfulness. He always keeps his promises. In other words, be overwhelmed by, be saturated by, internalize your understanding of how overwhelmingly God loves you. 
and is faithful to his promises toward you and for you. This is a command not to be loving, but to make sure you know how loved you are because of the great, great love of God. For God so loved the world, as we've been saying, is singing. He gave his only son. For God so loved the world. And you will never trust God if you only fear him. You'll never trust God if you only see him as great. You must also see him as profoundly loving and for you. These words are so frequently put together. When, when God's love is talked about, his hesed, it is, his emet, his, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his never-to-be-denied love, and his, his relentless keeping of his promises without fail, it's his industrial strength love. You need to know this. Never doubt God's love for you. And if you ever start to doubt it, look at the cross. Look at God's son sent because God loved. Look at the son joyfully being sent because he loved. Look at the spirit making it all happen because he is the one who brings this love to us. God is a God who loves. He is love. And what he tells Moses in Exodus 34 is, I am the Lord, the Lord. I am a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Oh, when we gather, the greatness of God is magnified when his love is magnified in his son. And that's why we do what we do. That's why Christ-centered worship and biblically grounded worship is ministry value to it, Grace. We want Jesus to be exalted because when we see Christ, we see the love of God. We see the greatness of God and we're filled with both fear and trust. And we see that the love of the Father through this human Father speaking to his Son for us this morning leads the Son to love. It doesn't mean we don't then love. That's always the implication. Just read 1 John. It, because God loved us, we love one another. It's got to make that connection, but it's grounded in God's love for us. We've got to be people who are constantly reminding one another of how magnificently God loves us. And as we've said before, and this results in loved people loving people, because that's how it works. Loved people love people, and so we will be known by our love because we know how loved we are. And love means exhaustive forgiveness. That's what he says to Moses in Exodus 34. I'm the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's sin forgiven holistically completely, exhaustively. If any of your sin in your past haunts you and you wonder if God actually forgives you, wonder no more. You are forgiven and your sin is thrown as far as the east is from the west into the ocean, never to surface again as if God doesn't even remember it. Live in that confidence. Live live in that freedom. And these, this will all give you a wonderful small view of yourself, point two. Have a small view of yourself. Verse five, do not lean on your own wisdom. Trust, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and not on your own understanding. If you trust him, you won't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And I hope you can see the bigger God gets, the smaller we get. And this is not self-loathing. This is not thinking less of ourselves, as Lewis says, but thinking of ourselves less, which we don't need to do. We don't need to think of ourselves all the time and and position ourselves and pose and, and try to make people know how great we are if we know in God's eyes we are loved, forgiven children. That is the f- most freeing thing in the world. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And we will do that when we see him for who he is. Thinking we know better than God is the human problem since the Garden of Eden. Having a big view of ourselves and a small view of God is the problem human history has shown is our greatest problem. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death, as we'll see in Proverbs 14, 12. Recovery uh, ministries will often teach people to say, my best thinking got me into this mess. Our best thinking gets us into messes. We We need God's thinking, and the point we've been making may not be good for your pride initially, but it's something we all need to hear. You can never begin the journey to wisdom until you realize you're a fool. We have such foolishness in our hearts, every one of us. I am daily confronted with my own foolishness. Which leads us to point three, know and follow God's ways. If God is all-knowing, if God is great and God is good, if God is the great I am and the God of the covenant, we trust him. Verse one, my son, do not forget my teaching. These are the father's teachings, but in this context, they're clearly the teachings of his father, the father's father, God himself. Let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my commandments. So the teachings of God, the commandments of God are things we need to know. You can't follow in God's ways if you don't know his ways. That's why we need to be people of the book. We need to be Bible people, whole Bible saturated people so we know what his ways are, so we're able to follow in his ways. And we follow these big ideas and principles and priorities and we have this map we need. Have any of you been to Boston? We grew up in New England, yes, my wife and I, and we went to Boston many times. For people who've never been to Boston, it is a chaotic process of driving around because the roads are not on a grid. They're not set up by engineers like like Mark Miller who know how traffic flows best. They were set up because that's, that's how Miss, Mrs. Smith's cow used to go to the neighbor's house and they just put a road there. And over, over the centuries, it becomes chaotic and driving around Boston, it's a one-way street, it's a narrow street, and you desperately need a map. And even then, it's a challenge. But the map changes everything. And God's word is a map, and we need to trust his map. We need to trust his commands, his instructions, which way to go. In complete reliance, this trusting idea is is sprawled out on the ground, face to the ground, every single ounce of your weight, depending on God and his ways, his commandments, his teachings, trusting him. And this kind of abandonment to God and his ways is what leads to the revival we're praying for in these 40 days of prayer. Listen to John Wesley. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what we're after. Fearing sin and nothing else and seeking God, desiring God more than anything else. 
And the world is changed through people who think that way. Which leads us to point four, depend on others. I don't need to belabor this. It's not one of the biggest points in this passage, but it's throughout the entire Proverbs and in this Proverbs simply in how this starts. My son, this son needs to look to his father. He can't think he can do it alone. We need mentors in our lives because we're forgetful. We need people to help us not just know things, but help us internalize things the way Del and Jerry have helped us internalize the ways of God in the way they live. It's not, they're not just ideas. They're ideas with flesh on when we have mentors like Del and Jerry and so many of you I'm looking at right now helping us see what it looks like. Rebuking, correcting, exhorting, instructing, setting an example for the believers. And verses one and five bring this out. My son, don't trust in the Lord, uh, uh, don't trust in your own eyes, the wisdom of your own eyes, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. And these things need to become heart things, things that define us, things that are the result of transformed character. They all need to be grounded in the first thing, forgetting not his teachings and trusting him because of who he is. It becomes who we are now. We become like him. And the results of all of this are wonderful. This regenerating work of trusting God that he brings about leads to wonderful, powerful results of wisdom, of great reward, of health, of safety, of wealth, of peace and favor and success, especially in God's sight. Straight paths or steady progress, healing and refreshment. Now, when I say this, some of you are sitting there saying, wait, I've followed God faithfully a lot in my life. And my life has been really difficult. I have not seen this work itself out a lot of the time, maybe most of the time. It's not some equation. You just plug in right living and you get all these results of health and wealth. Are you sounding like one of these smiley health wealth preachers on TV, Thomas? No, because what do we realize? In life in a fallen world, we're not to that place of shalom yet. It's like you're navigating your way through a city. And the map is showing you exactly where the roads are to get home. But there's been an earthquake. And buildings have fallen across the way. And there's a twistedness to things. And even iron rebar is now twisting everything and putting us in dire straits. And so we need the map. But we realize that this world is really messed up because of human rebellion. There's been an earthquake it's distorted and things don't always go this way. And we're even promised in the Bible that if you live a godly life, you'll be persecuted. And Jesus says in this world, you'll have trouble, which is why we ultimately depend on Jesus. Jesus doesn't just get us through the ruined city. We're, we're trying to conform it to our own reality and we can't, but here's the amazing thing. Jesus does conform the twisted reality. Jesus will come one day and make all the paths straight. He will bring shalom when there's chaos. He will bring salvation when there is loss and abandonment. He will bring forgiveness when there's just condemnation. He's brought that to the lives of his people. One day, he's going to do that kind of magic that we long for our ability to do, but only he can do. And he will transform it and bring ultimate health and ultimate safety and ultimate treasures. So even though we suffer sometimes deeply in this life, 
We trust the one who has ultimate solutions. The only truly faithful wise son who never forgot the ways of his father or doubted his father's love, but trusted him with his whole heart and said, not my will, but your will be done. We trust the son, Jesus, who grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, following the instruction of this proverb, but then gave up his peace on earth and gave up his long life so that we could have peace with God and eternal life and abundant life even when we suffer now. Even when these principles don't always work out in the details the way we would hope. He gave his flesh. We have our flesh restored in the resurrection one day. He gave his flesh to the Roman whip and the Roman cross so we could be forgiven and free. And hear the words of Jesus now. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we trust in Jesus, the one who not only gives us wisdom, but is our wisdom, and not only helps us conform our souls to the realities of life, but is in the process of transforming the realities of life so our ways become straight and we have eternal life and abundant life in him forever. If you've never trusted Jesus this morning, if life has filled your life with suffering and chaos and confusion and discouragement and depression and anxiety and addictions or any of those things, He's the only one who can free you ultimately. We can have principles that help us along the way of wisdom, but never ultimate wisdom, never ultimate forgiveness, never ultimate reconciliation with the God who's great and the God who's good, which is what we need more than anything else. If you've never trusted Jesus, please this morning, turn from your sin and to him in saving faith and pray with me, any of us who are up here, people under the tree later, go pray and ask for clarity on what I've been talking about and ask for them to pray with you so you can bow your knee to Jesus and trust him with your whole life. And for those of us who do know him, we need to hear this. The gospel is what we need to hear. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Heavenly Father, help us to rest in Jesus. Help us to trust in Jesus. With our arms spread out, faces to the ground, leaning all our weight on him and not on ourselves, not on the latest solutions or statistics but on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who went before us in this twisted world and walked sinlessly and faithfully. And Lord, we depend on his righteousness and his sacrifice in our place. And we depend on the Spirit's leading who leads us into wisdom. And we pray these things in the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name, amen.